Um, today we're going to be talking and discussing about how we can help cure your identity crisis. I think so many people have an identity crisis, they really do not know who they are. They're either chasing after something, money, career, or they want to be something else other than themselves. They might even be running away from something such as the past for other people. The cure to the identity crisis is reflecting on life so you can really discover who you are and to know what God's plan is for you. In our high-speed technological world and our self-absorbed and busy society, we need to take time to reflect and discover ourselves, what God created us for, and be the champion for Christ that he is calling us to be, regardless of our faults, our weaknesses, or strengths or talents. I have a guest speaker today, Robert Hanley, who will help us with our identity crisis. Robert Hanley is a famous celebrity who has been in Hollywood movies, a singer, author, stand-up comedian, game host, and in many TV shows. Overall, he's a great guy who loves Christ and others. Welcome to another episode of Practical Catholic with David Cease. Practical Catholic is a spiritual coaching show to help you find peace, love, and joy in family and work life. We are here each and every week to help you grow spiritually, to become successful in this life, and to be a saint for the life after. You know, my story begins with uh, me in a, in a sense that, you know, I'm a Korean. That means I'm Asian, and I was adopted at the age of five when I came here to America. And it's very, very awkward uh, to be, you know, uh, an Asian amongst a white family and a white society. It was, it was very, very awkward. Um, and so for me, it was something that I had to live with uh, in doing that. I remember when I was little, there was a television show, and I didn't see it when I was little, but when I was a little older, I got to see this movie called uh, The Jerk with uh, Steve Martin. And there's a scene in there where Steve Martin, who's all white, was adopted by an all-black family, and where um, he's about, I guess, you know, 30 years old, and it's his birthday, and this whole family looks at him, and they say, you know, son, you're adopted. And in that scene, Steve Martin says, you mean I'm going to stay this color? Uh, thinking that he was going to all of a sudden change to become a black person, because that's exactly what his brothers and sisters and his whole family was. And, and ironically speaking, that, that's exactly what, how I felt. I, I thought somehow I was going to turn into this white uh, person, you know, uh, you know, change from a, a brown person. Not that I was, uh, you know, unhappy with me being Korean or anything like that, but I just didn't understand, especially growing up in a white society. So it was important that I really did understand who I was. And so... Uh, you know, and I was faced with a lot of prejudice, uh, racism growing up as well, uh, not because people were racist, but because, you know, kids can be nasty at young ages, and so they can say things that are derogatory towards other people. So I was able to really reflect a lot about who I was. And at a very young age, I did that. At a very young age, I realized who I really was, and I realized also that I loved myself, you know? It's so important to love yourself. And it was the challenge of, you know, not seeming that I fit in, that I was able to really understand who I was and how to love myself. Because the Lord says, 
to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, it's very hard to love other people. So today, the road to, you know, loving yourself and knowing who you are begins with um, a with self-reflection, to reflect on all the situations that occur. Who am I? What am I? And so I have a really great guest speaker here. Uh, not only did he write a great book, this, this book called Do You See What I See? Discovering the Obvious. It's a great book. Um, I've read it. Um, so uh, his, the author's name is Robert Henley. He is uh, an actor, a singer. Uh, he's been in movies, been on television shows. And today we're going to talk about reflection and how we can you know, discover who we are based on his really, really good book. I highly recommend it called Do You See What I See? Discovering the Obvious. So, hello, Robert. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, and thank you for that story that you told, which I'm sure anybody listening can relate to. I know I can, and um, uh, I appreciated it. I uh, garnered something from it, and I wasn't expecting it, so thank you. I'm, I'm doing fine, by the way, and um, uh, happy to be on your show, um, and uh, here I am. Oh, thank you. So, um, you know, I, I know we've talked back and forth about your life. It, you know, I, I enjoyed, uh, in fact, I, I watched a couple of your, um, your videos of your past movies and, and shows, and, and it brought back a lot of memories uh, as a Generation X person. Uh, so, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit about your uh, life and especially how you came, uh, I don't know, did you leave your faith? Did you come back to your faith or, or were you always strong in your faith? Uh, I, uh, well, I was born and raised uh, a Catholic, altar boy and all of that. And when I got to my teenage years, uh, as is often the case with, uh, with others, I, uh, wasn't going to church, uh, and then, you know, maybe Christmas and Easter, I would uh, go to mass and, uh, uh, my journey eventually uh, led me, somebody suggested, they said to me, do you go to church? And I said, no, I feel I'm a good person and um, um, just wasn't going to, to Mass. I, I, I felt there was a, a lot of hypocrisy as well that I was seeing in some of the people uh, at church uh, and at the time. And uh, just my my interests were in other things, uh, more worldly things. And then somebody said, you know, listen to listening to you, uh, Robert. And as I got to know you, it, you might want to check it back into church because I see your thoughts and the way you live your life um, as um, something that seems parallel to going to church. And somewhat reluctantly, but not too bad. Somebody says something to me. I I I, I saw the value in that, and I thought, well, let me check back in. And uh, I uh, went to church, a Catholic church in Encino, uh, California, called Our Lady of Grace, and uh, never stopped. Uh, that was in 1983. So. Uh, I could remember going to confession after about the second or third visit to church, and uh, let me back that up a little bit. I those first three visits, two or three visits to church, I, I remember hearing uh, the priest uh, read the gospel and then do the homily, 
And I was sitting there saying to myself, gee, uh, what happened to Jesus uh, sounds similar to what happened to me with this agent that I had at the time, uh, a similar experience. And sort of my life on the outside, away from the church, really started to come to fit with what the the basic tenets of our church are and God. So uh, being raised, uh, going to Catholic school, going to Catholic grammar school, going to Catholic high school, you know, I got all the fundamentals uh, in my brain, but I didn't really experience them. But I found the value of the church at the time with... uh, um, you know, I could see it come alive with my experience more as an adult. So anyway, I went to confession and um, told the priest all my sins. I actually used words to that effect. Uh, you know, Father, I've, I've done it all, and uh, I'd like to come. You know, I'm sorry for my sins. And and he just said to me, um, oh, a funny thing, by the way, I had, it had been so long. When I knelt down in the confessional, he slid the door open and I was inches away from his face <laughs> and to somebody who hadn't been to confession in many, many years, uh, it was quite startling. <laughs> I sort of turned to my left to look around. <laughs> Is this the way it goes now? And um, after telling him what I told him, he simply said, he said, well, welcome back. And uh, he said, uh, why don't you just go back into into the church there, Neil, and um you know, just to spend a moment with uh, with God, and I thought that was great, and uh, and that really sealed the deal for me. And uh, little did I know at that time, but I, if somebody had asked me, I would, you know, I was really taken by it. And I became, as time went by, I became very, very involved with the church, and that was. Um, 1983. Did I say that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, since then, I have been, um, oh, golly, uh, I hosted all the events. I became a lector and then a lector coordinator, uh, belonged to the men's group, and then... um, uh, gosh, I, I, there are there are many other things that I'm uh, uh, not recalling at this moment, but I've, I've just been greatly involved with the church to the point where I um, formed a group, not at the church. I, I did at the church at one point, but during that growth period, being that I was uh, in show business um, as an actor predominantly, you know, I've, I've done maybe a hundred or more television shows and a few pictures and, as you mentioned, stand-up comedy uh, and uh, just singing with my own 17-piece orchestra. And I started to performing for nonprofits. Uh, because I played Vegas um, many, a few times, many times actually, uh, relating to comedy. But I wanted to use my talents to see if I could help nonprofits, the church, uh, different faiths, whether they were uh, Christians, uh, you know, Protestant uh, places that were doing good for this world. So I, you know, you talk about finding yourself, and that was a moment where I thought, gee, this is good. This is helping people, and I'm doing something I enjoy. And, uh, you know, I could use a sliding, sliding scale as far as what. You know, they, many of these places do not have a lot of money, and we'd make it work, and uh, it, it just was very good, and I did that for a number of years. But I think the predominant thing during that period was the I started a group called the Entertainment Fellowship, 
which basically brought God and career together for people in the entertainment industry. And um, we had each month, uh, we had discussion meetings at five different parishes in Los Angeles. And I wrote the material uh, along with a Catholic priest, actually, who uh, I asked to be chaplain, Father Bert Billet. He's a Claritian priest. And we addressed uh, topics at these discussion meetings, um, which and addressed them from a practical and a spiritual standpoint. And not only did we have these discussion meetings at five different locations in L.A. regularly, we also uh, had um, guest speaker dinners from the entertainment industry, and uh, that was at CBS uh, that we did that, and they would come in, people who were successful in front of the camera and behind the camera, such as Diane Cannon, Steve Allen, um, Jimmy Burroughs, who uh, directs, has to, he's one of the most renowned, uh, if not the most renowned uh sitcom comedy director, uh, you know, they spoke, the president of CBS, and I would ask them in front of an audience, you know, what was your journey like? You know, how, what do you see as, do you have a faith? Uh, some of them were Catholic, some of them were Jewish. Some of these people uh, that I interviewed, we always had a member of the clergy there, and they would talk about their journey, about trying to do the right thing in an industry that's not known for that. So it was good for the people attending to hear the journeys of other people. And we grew to, uh, before I get to that, we also had uh, a screening each month uh, to show new or soon-to-be-released films. Uh, and we'd address them, <clears throat> pardon me, from a spiritual and from a practical standpoint. In other words, if there was um, a scene that used curse words, uh, were they necessary? And there would be writers and directors in the in the audience. And uh, you know, could, how would you have done that? Does that offend you? You know, is that the way people talk? And is that necessary in a film? And I can remember one time saying to somebody, you know, in all the Rocky films, you know, Rocky Balboa and all of that, there was never a curse word because a lot of people feel that in New York. You know, that scene in the De Niro Pacino films, and they're filled with gratuities, gratuitous language. And people are acceptable to that, whether they're in the film and, or outside the film, but, you know, it's certainly not something that I espouse in my own life. But the conversations at these films were along those lines, and it was very healthy, and it, um, it gave an opportunity to, for people who are wanting to do the right thing. It sort of enforces their own uh, morality or ethics, if you will. And then we also had a 12-page newsletter that went out to, uh, and uh, I'll mention this at this time, the group at this point grew to 4,000 people in the entertainment industry. So, wow. uh, and I was experiencing, I, I mean, we had predominant names, as I mentioned in, in it, and as well as people, young actors or wannabe actors, as well as people uh, who have uh, uh, wanted to make a career out of show business. You know, maybe they did one or two films or um, or appeared on TV or, or people like myself who have managed to make a living at it. Uh, um, 
over the years who were challenged as time went by, you know, how do I keep going? You know, I'm paying the rent just barely. And, uh, uh, you know, and I had my own experiences with that. Um, you know, people look at my resume sometimes and they go, wow, you did all of this. And I say for every one of those that I got, you know, I, I didn't get 10 or more, you know, um, uh, jobs, a lot of rejection. So we'd help with these discussion meetings in the newsletter um, in that regard. So it was a point where my life as someone in show business uh, returned to my face in a big way. And, uh, and that led to uh, writing a book. As you mentioned, it's called Do You See What I See? Discovering the Obvious. And it's about finding a better, more meaningful life. It's, um, and I use the book for at my parish now and uh, other places I'm the, uh, that are asking me to do this. I use the book uh, in a similar way to what I did with the Entertainment Fellowship, only this is open to people of all faiths. And uh, and all it's not just people in the entertainment industry, uh, and it's we are just beginning our ninth consecutive year at Our Lady of Grace in Encino, and what we do is um, you know the chapters in the book deal with change and the you know how making a change in your life uh, can be a good thing, uh, from a practical standpoint, which is a story that I wrote about me pulling into a gas station and garnering something profound uh, by the experience. And, uh, and then not only from the practical standpoint, but I also write a spiritual aspect as far as change, as far as why are you living the way you're living? What is it you want to do? And the changes that um, our Lord brought to so many people and, um, and, the, and what the church brings uh, to help people by changing their lives for the better. So things like change and, and work having a work ethic and applying that and coming up with a short story on it, an anecdote, if you will, seeing things in that short story that seem to just float past the observations of other people. Uh, in other words, as I mentioned, pulling into a gas station, people are just getting gas and they're in a hurry. But if you stop and look and at the experience and apply it to your own life, whether it's a gas station or your career on your job, uh, you know, all of I, I address all of these topics uh, of work and coincidence, and I'm just uh, trying to think off the top of my head some of the other chapters, perseverance, where you are, you know, you're trying for something, if I may. Uh, I was hosting the Special Olympics for a number of years, uh, many, many years, actually. And I remember seeing this little gal who um, Rayford Johnson introduced her, and he said, I'd like to introduce somebody. She's 10 years old, and she'd like to, she never walked in her life before, and she would like to walk for you now. And we were at UCLA, and a hush came over the, the uh, stadium, and there were over 1,000 people there. And this little girl got up out of a wheelchair and she swung her leg around and took a step. And you, you know, you, you were holding your breath watching this. And then she, she sort of swayed a little bit and 
I thought to myself, gee, she's going to fall. She reminded me of somebody who had drunk too much alcohol, and she took another step, and then she fell. And she managed to get her, nobody, everybody, everybody was wondering what's going to happen. You wanted to help her, but nobody went to her to pick her up. She got up on her own. And she took another step and another step and uh, fell down again. And nobody picked her up. And she got up on her own and took a couple of steps and fell down again, a few more steps, fell down again. And after about 25 feet, her coach was on his knees with his upturned hands and with a smile on his face, and I could see that from where I was standing, and she slapped his hands, and it was just so moving. And the, the entire stadium just burst out into applause. It was quite touching, and people on the... It was in, in the middle of the field on risers, and people on on the stage, so to speak, were giving her hugs. And then at one point, the coach grabbed her hand and raised it above her head as if she was a you know, the heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> and um, he let her go, and she just stood there and waved to the crowd. And as I say in, the, in this story on Perseverance, it was the greatest applaud I've ever heard. And believe me, I've worked with Sammy Davis Jr., I've worked with Jerry Seinfeld, I've worked with a lot of people in the industry, and I've heard a lot of applause, but this took the cake. And obviously or maybe not so obvious to to the people watching or even to your listeners now we when she walked down that narrow black mat to her coach 25 feet later uh you know i i think of us all of us uh, in life when we go through life how do we persevere do we ever take a look and respect ourselves for what we're doing? Because we all walk down our respective black mats, our respective uh, heading towards our respective coaches, so to speak. And to learn that, um, uh, to respect yourself and to persevere through challenges, to you know, to get wasn't it the getting up that we respected most about her? Isn't it the getting up that we respect most about other people in our lives when? And they lose a spouse, uh, you know, when, when something negative happens in their life, they forget that they got through it. And that's something beautiful and something to be admired. I mean, you could even, I just had a, a, a meeting with the Fireside Fellowship, which I started at, as I said, at Our Lady of Grace. And in it, I mentioned, we, uh, and it came up as well, but I, uh, one of the questions I asked is, how, how does this, how do you uh, relate per- the perseverance to what the Catholic Church is going through today with mm-hmm. the sexual abuse? Good point. And uh, it was a, all of these meetings are engaging, but this was particularly engaging. You know, one of the people in our parish, and I mentioned this in the spiritual reflection, well, I mentioned our Lord and his passion, of course. I mentioned St. Paul and, and being all he went through, uh, you know, spending nights uh, on the water and, and being beaten and stoned and starved and everything else he went through. And how did he persevere? And um, then I mentioned two people. The first one is was at this meeting 
and this I inter, uh, you know I put this into the um, what I wrote from a spiritual aspect. And she said to me at one point, uh, her name is Mary, and she said, uh, Robert, uh, I came home one day and uh, I was, you know, I asked my daughter, I said, honey, are you here? And there was no response. And her daughter was, I think, at 19 or 20 at the time. And she, you know, looked in the kitchen and the living room and finally heard the daughter's room. And then finally she went into the bathroom and her daughter had hung herself. And she was hanging there. And she, you know, you say to yourself after you say, oh, my gosh, Mary, I'm so sorry. And you ask, how did she get through that? To which I did ask her. And she said, uh, I prayed to the Blessed Mother. She said, I feel funny that I... That may sound funny that I didn't pray to Jesus, but I prayed to the Blessed Mother because of what she had gone through with her own son. And she said, uh, and that helped me and continues to help me to this day. She said, Robert, that is what got me through this. Mm. And then at our church the previous Sunday, and I wrote this in the spiritual uh, uh, right after the, the paragraph or two on Mary, I wrote about a young man who stood up at Mass uh, the Sunday before, three days before, and this was just a couple of months ago. And he's, after the homily, he, he stood up and, and audibly said to the priest from the congregation, from the pews, he said, excuse me, Father, but recently there's been something that came out about the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, and I'm wondering if you could say a few words on that. And the priest was a little caught off guard, naturally. Good priest, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then the parishioner, who was also at our meeting, he turned to the congregation and said, how can you support a church that has sexually abused our children and has covered up all of this? And uh, it was quite a stir. And some people told him to shut up and sit down. And other people said later on, they came up to him and said, thank you for saying that because that's needed. We need to open a window and have a healthy time. You know, we need to open a window and get truth in here about this. He himself was abused. Back to the meeting, and this was all in what I wrote. And there were 25 of us at this particular meeting, which is usually the case each month. And I said, what do we do as far as perseverance here? How do we persevere with our faith under what we're going through? Ending with, you know, for us, some things are impossible. If our child dies, if we are sexually abused, It's impossible for us to get through on our own, but with God, everything is possible. And for both of those individuals, they come to these meetings and they share their feelings the same way other people feel them, Uh, you know, know, the feelings that other people have. So for me, uh, in, in a perhaps 
a long way here uh, explaining it to you. For me, my journey has been one that has led me to where I am today, and I feel very fulfilled that I am a part, that uh, God has tapped me on the shoulder to be a part of what he is offering to all of us on a daily basis. Why? Because it's brought me fulfillment. It has brought me a sense of who I am, the person uh, I have become and am still becoming, uh, as uh, uh, that I think God uh, wants me to become. And it's brought me great joy. Uh, you know, I was just saying to somebody the other day on Christmas Eve, actually Christmas Eve day, that, you know, I uh, uh, reminiscing that a few years ago I said to somebody that, you know, I like, I must say I, I'm not a perfect person, but I like the person that I am, the person I am becoming. And I said to them on Christmas Eve, these two friends of mine, after I said that, I said, you know, I, I, I am very rich in the important things in life. I have great love. I have a wonderful wife um, uh, who I refer to in the book as one in a billion. And it is for me. She is one in a billion. And I have hope. Uh, for the future, I have hope uh, and trust in in God, and uh, I, you know I am grateful every day, audibly grateful every day. Looking out the window at my backyard while washing dishes and getting tears in my eyes, recognizing all that God has given me by way of my family and and the people in my life. So I think that's the best way to, and I know this is going to sound strange now that I've been talking for two and a half hours, but <laughs> but in a succinct way, you know, from show business, and I don't think I mentioned I'm from the Bronx, New York, and, you know, my upbringing in show business and making mistakes, going away from the church, coming back to the church, getting involved in the church, uh, while still doing my career by still, uh, you know, being funny and singing and writing and whatever else I do, uh, you know, I think I've managed uh, to be a conduit for what God is calling me to do. So there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I, I definitely um, think you are. I want to read, uh, you know, your book here. I think it succinctly kind of tells you what this book is all about and what you're trying to achieve. And I, I really like this part. Uh, it's actually in the conclusion. So we're going to, uh, like, um, I always do this. I always read the back first before I read the front. Um, so it Are says you dyslexic? Here, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I always like to read the ending of the book before I, before I read the book. Um, but it says here in the conclusion, which I think is so beautiful, it says, do you see what I see? Maybe you do. And maybe you don't. I understand. Either way, this is not so much about my journey as it is yours. The main thing is to discover the obvious in the daily experiences of your own life. While you may have learned something from an individual story of mine, these experiences are just samples of what I've discovered and how I've become the person I am. It's your experiences and the way you see life that matters. This is the road being offered here. 
and this road ultimately leads to you. Finding a more meaningful life is linked to discovering who you really are, and who you are is not necessarily who you become. One of the greatest benefits and perhaps the main goal of discovering the obvious is to discover who you really are. To do that, you've got to spend more time with yourself. Who are you? How often we answer this question with our name followed by what we do for a living. I love that in a sense that, you know, it brings out a couple of things. One is everyday experiences, even the smallest little things like going to the gas station or wherever it is, and you observe, you can really, if you reflect on it, you can really see who you really are. You know, uh, it's, it's so beautiful. One of the stories that I love the most uh, was discovering who you are was the tennis player and the actress. Um, I don't know if you want to tell that story, but I thought that was such a great story um, about how you can tell how, how a person views themselves. You, you want to tell that story? Robert, absolutely. I, um, I, it, uh, oddly enough, that also has to do with the Special Olympics. I, I was at the California Special Olympics, and uh, the story of the little girl who fell down and got up and fell down and got up. And uh, another year, I was um, hosting the. Uh, I was at the swimming pool. Uh, and I would start everything off with the Star Spangled Banner early in the morning. Their bleachers uh, by there were around the pool, and uh, and call the races and introduce the celebrities as they came in: Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and just uh, oh, major sports people. And on this one uh, this one morning, I. Um, uh, had just we took a break uh, from the races and you're screaming and yelling you can do it it's just a little further go 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 and everybody's screaming and took a break and I noticed that there was a sort of a semi-famous uh, tennis player there and I had introduced her earlier I didn't know who she was or anything like that I'm not a, into tennis that much but um, uh, and uh, she came up to me and uh, you know said hello and she said wow this is really something and I said uh, it's your first time here right and she said yeah and uh, she said gee this is watching these athletes uh, it's just a beautiful thing and uh, I said to her at at um, one point, uh, I, well, before I said anything, she wasn't talking about all of her trophies that she won or, you know, sports or anything like that. She was t- really uh, just so enamored with the present moment, what she was experiencing. And at one point, I asked her something that I often ask people to get to know them better. Uh, other than what do you do for a living or, you know, you know, what's your name, whatever. So shortly after I, I uh, you know, the introductions there, I said to her, uh, let me ask you something. What, what do you think is your best quality? And she said, hmm, she took a pause and said, hmm, that's a good question. She thought, and then finally she said, um, I think I'm... Um, I think altruistic. She said, I think I'm altruistic. 
And I said, are you saying that because you're here today? And, uh, and she said, no, no, really. She said, I, when I was a kid, my parents used to tell me that. And, you know, sometimes you lose sight of that. But I, I, I think that's really, you know, I, I think that's one of the best things about me. I think I'm, I like to give and help and, and do those things. And I said, okay. And then uh, that was on a weekend. You know, like a Saturday or Sunday, well, closing uh, uh, closing games is on Sunday, so it probably was a Saturday, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday would be the three game, days of the Special Olympics. So on Tuesday of that next week, I was on a commercial audition at Universal Studios for a commercial, and they part. Sometimes when you go on a television commercial audition, they partner you with somebody who they kind of sort of think you might be your wife, and um, uh, for whatever reason, the woman they chose to be my wife was a blonde, uh, very attractive gal with a very short skirt. And uh, which surprised me. And but, you know, it wasn't what I was expecting, but maybe I wasn't what (laughs) she was expecting either, you know. So, uh, you know, there must have been 20 of us out in the waiting area to go into audition. And uh, you find a little alcove somewhere or go outside or whatever. And you go over your lines and you run, you know, you act out the scene so to speak and we worked on our we worked on our audition and then took a break and she's telling me where she's from and I'm telling her where I'm from and then we worked on the lines and that went back and forth and finally after about an hour we went into the audition we auditioned we came out and uh, while I was walking her to her car in the parking lot I said the same thing to her that I said to the tennis player. I said, so what do you think is your best quality? And she said the same thing. She said, hmm, she thought, and then she said, my legs. And yes, you're laughing. And, uh, you know, I didn't know whether to laugh or I didn't laugh. But, you know, I've told this story before where to a large audience and the audience laughs. And I said, you know, as far as these two people, you know, maybe the way they answered the the same question, you know, it seems to me that if they had thought about the person they were, um, they wouldn't be surprised by the question or as surprised, you know, what, what is your best quality? And I've come up with my own answer to that, which I may or may not get to uh, during this interview. But uh, in her case, I thought, you know, maybe because she was at an audition, just the same way I asked the tennis player, you know, are you saying that because you're at the Special Olympics? And she said no. With the actress who I spent a lot of time with, you know, an hour, just the two of us talking, uh, I I don't think that it was because she was at an audition. Uh, am I 100% on that? No, but I had a pretty good feeling that it was not because she was at an acting audition. I think perhaps she had been told her whole life that she was attractive and you should be an actress and, boy, you've got great legs and et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way she thinks of herself. 
my best quality is my legs. Mm. So as far as the laughter, yes, I, I was fortunate not to crack up, you know, laughing when I heard it. But it's also deeply sad that yeah. at this point in her life, she is thinking that the best quality, what's your best quality? And she says, my legs. It's sad to think that that person thinks that of herself, that she's not seeing all that there is to her, all the, the tremendous things that, are, uh, that she's capable of and looking at herself. And, you know, along those lines, let me interject this here. The reason I wrote this book and stories like this one uh, is to help people from the get-go. Why, my, my wife, Corrine, said to me, why do you want to write a book? I said, uh, I, I think the book, I knew the book would help people because of some of these stories I used with the Entertainment Fellowship and certainly more with the Fireside Fellowship, uh, which I mentioned to you at our church. And it's to help people. It's to help people like that tennis player just to get an idea that there's more to me than my legs. It's just, I write this to, to give them the idea that, you know, I can change in ways that will make me happier and more fulfilled. And, you know, in the book, Do You See What I See? Discovering the Obvious, um, there are stories that are everyday experiences. There are stories that deal with my career in show business, and that was one of them, you know, going on a commercial audition. And there are stories about my faith where I mention how, uh, in a story on coincidence, how I feel God played a hand in that. And most people, they pray for things and they, they beg for things and they ask for things and please let this happen. I hope I get this job. I hope this guy likes me. I hope I marry him. I hope he asks, whatever it is. I hope I get a promotion. Uh, I hope uh, my report from the doctor will, will be uh, that I don't have cancer. And then when the answer comes in, after praying and doing all of this, the answer comes in and they don't have cancer or they get the job or, or the guy does fall in love with her. What do they do? They forget that they asked and prayed and did all of that begging. They, for me, providence, God's loving care, uh, there have been realities in my life that I can only call, say that God, it was God's hand in this, that this happened. And, and so there's a, there are stories in this book about my faith as well and my journey. But I don't, you know, you mentioned something in um, earlier. I don't know if it was uh, at the beginning of this, this interview, but when we chatted, when we first contacted each other, David, you talked about bringing your faith to your life. And I did the same. I had an acting studio for years, and I would say, to make a point in directing a couple of actors, uh, I'd say, you know, I went to ch- yesterday at Mass, I went to church yesterday, and I saw this guy. He was so funny, and he was just like this character in this, uh, in this play or in this scene that you're working on, this screenplay, uh, to two actors. And they would hear me say I went to church. And, you know, with religious bookstores, when you pick up a book 
and it's about St. Thomas Aquinas or Mother Teresa or the life of Christ or Fulton J. Sheen, Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, I think people who are searching for something might get turned off or might not not turned off and well turned off and uh, you know that's uh, another way of saying you know this is too much for me and i wanted to write a book where i'm just a regular guy robert hanley i'm a regular guy this is how i live my life this is these are some of the mistakes i made um and god is a part of that and this is what i have found out on my journey and what i believe and I don't want to hit people over the head with with some of the theology that that people um, uh, don't relate to. These aren't the waters that I fish in. Well, sometimes I do if I'm having it at church. But I, I, I want people to understand that by this book and as a reflection of of what I've experienced, that they can experience the same thing. And wherever it leads them, uh, I think if they pay attention and analyze themselves, self-awareness of who they are, pretty much what Catholics call um, uh, when you go to confession, examine your conscience, examine your who you are on a regular basis. For me, ultimately, I think that self-examination will lead, has led me to God. I've seen it lead other people to God, and other people it hasn't led to God, but they're still good people. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, you know, I hope that uh, my hope is, my, my goal, mission was to, to help people by writing this book, and I, I've seen it make these changes in people's lives, positive changes in people's lives, so that just adds to my fulfillment uh, as a human being. Well, also, you know, add to the fact that as Christians, we are to help other people, you know, come to Christ. Um, and I agree with you, you know, you have to uh, meet the people in the ordinary life um, and, and love them um, and not uh, shine this bright light of theology on their brains um, because it blinds people. Um, which leads me to the other life learning experience. Uh, one, another good one that I liked was Mommy's Towel. Now, you know, when I read that story, uh, honestly, it reminded me of St. Therese. I don't know if you ever read uh, St. Therese's autobiography. It's called A Story of a Soul. St. Therese of Lisieux is, is one of my favorite saints. Um, I think I have a quote of his in the book, but maybe not, but maybe I do. Yeah. I, I might have considered that at one point, but I, I didn't but, read the book. Yeah, no, but she... She does a lot of self-reflections. Um, in fact, uh, the, her, she has three manuscripts, A, B, and C, they're called. And manuscript A, majority of it is just a self-reflection of her upbringing when she was a little girl. So she went into the convent when she was 15 years old. Uh, she died at age 23. But the story of a soul, really, it was a self-reflection. And so in one of her stories, she talks about how uh, when she was little, uh, her older sisters, who grew up and you know she didn't want to play with dolls anymore, decided to give up all her dolls. And so her and her her sister, so Saint Therese, and her sister Celine, who's also going up for canonization, um, is uh, you know they're, they're they're there. They're young kids. The girl says, "I don't want to play with it." Her older sister says, "I don't want to play with these dolls anymore." So you choose. 
And Therese, you go first because you're the youngest. And so Therese said, I take everything. I want to take everything. And she, she reflects how that one moment was how she wanted to be a great saint because she wanted everything and not do things in halves. And so when I read Mommy's Towels, it, 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 from your perspective, I looked at you as being like almost like a little St. Therese, reflecting on something as simple as two towels that are never being used and how the potential of lost talent. So um, I would like to hear from your side, um, you know, uh, uh, from, from you, but I thought it was a great way of expressing how, look at all this lost talent that was there. And this is just reflecting on two towels. You know what I mean? It's not even like you're doing something overly good. And I think that's the beauty of this book is that you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a mystic. You don't have to be this, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bible expert to realize the greatness and the strength of every human being. And I think the story, which is so simple and you were able to reflect on it, is so beautiful. So if you don't mind sharing that with us. I don't mind at all, and uh, I'm just delighted to hear you say that. You know, <laughs> when I wrote the story, there's another story on the on the two palm trees, and I can remember when I wrote that story, and a friend of mine said to me, he said, you know, you, Robert, you could look at a garbage can and get something out of it. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's I, true, not, not but... Not to cut you off, Robert, but that was my second one was the two palm trees. I really like that one as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the, some of the stories are funny. Uh, uh, these were not meant to be funny. Uh, some of them are definitely meant to be funny and uh, are, but uh, we're, I'm getting a kick out of uh, hearing you say what you say. And before I get into the story, let me just say to you and your listeners that this story has to deal with um, – the talent is the uh, chapter title, and uh, uh, it it deals. I, I just told you a lot about me in my life, and there's a world of di- difference between you know spending my day uh, memorizing lines or writing jokes or uh, going to rehearsals and singing and uh, just the different things that I have done in show business to find myself with the talent to start a group at a Catholic church that is providing things to people that will help them. And I'm giving you a hands-on from the author example of using talents that you have not used in your life. So, um, I, as, as far as the book is concerned here, I, I, Mommy's Towels is about when I was a kid growing up in New York, uh, I, a little kid actually, uh, single digits, uh, six, seven, eight, I, don't, uh, I couldn't tell you exactly, but you get the idea. And in our bathroom, uh, right by the door, there were hanging three towels, not two, uh, David. Uh, uh, but anyhow, the three towels were hanging there. And I, my mother said to me, don't use those towels. We're having company today. And my, you know, my Aunt Dot or Annaline or, you know, different friends of the family would come over and my mother would get 
cookies from the uh, Italian deli on White Plains Road in the Bronx, and you know the dinner would be uh, a lasagna or something like that. And it was a big deal, as if uh, I, I think in the book I mentioned, uh, as if one of the people on the Ed Sullivan Show, for those of you who remember that show, uh, you think of Jimmy Fallon today. Somebody on the Tonight Show was going to be at our house. You know, it was like this is royalty. So I I remember thinking, though, because this mind of mine worked that way even then, and I looked at the talents and I thought to myself, gee, these three towels, it's kind of uh, odd that the very thing that they were created to do, they're not allowed to do. Wash their, wash wash people's hands and faces. So um, uh, I began a list of things, and I call it in the book, I think it's Robert's Towel Talent List, um, things that um, other things, uses for talents, uh, uh, uses for a towel that uh, they have that they're not using. And one of them I I think is uh, used as a uh, popcorn cover. It it keeps the popcorn warm. If you put the towel over a bowl, you could put it on the uh, a towel on the floor in your bathroom so your feet don't get cold. Um, you could use it as, as a duster to dust, you know, or even as a napkin, I think. And uh, my mother would faint if she uh, thought, you know, I think I say that, my mo- mommy would faint or something, words to that effect, that using uh, one of those towels to dust would be. So anyhow, the list is 10 or 11 or 12 uh, long of different things that I used uh, that a towel can be used for and and I also say there are probably many 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 it's, the list is unending of the uses that you could use a towel for and uh, and then I got to thinking I wonder if I'm like that talent if I'm like that towel if I have talents that I haven't used and which is the point of the story that we all have talents that we'd never use and, you know, people wind up, they, they're in a, a job somewhere, and that's their thing. It's their job, come home, eat, raise the kids, whatever. And they forget that there's more to them than that. There are many, many things that we all can do, but for some and love, and love even more than what we're doing. But for whatever reason, we don't go after it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I have seen that uh, with so, in so many different areas uh, of my life. I remember at my acting studio, uh, I rented from Debbie Reynolds in North Hollywood, and I had an acting studio there for 18 years. And during that 18 years, on two different occasions, two different guys came in. They are in their mid-30s. And they were airline pilots for, like, Delta and the other one, American Airlines. I mean, famous airlines. And I, I couldn't believe the first one, let alone the second one. But I, in each case, I said, how, why, uh, how come you, I mean, you have a great career. How come you're, you're choosing acting? Because it it's a lot of work to take an acting class, at least, at least mine. And... Uh, in each case, they said, you know, I always wanted to, to act, and, uh, you know, I, I just wound up being an airplane pilot, and uh, 
and it's been on my mind for 20 years or however many years in, in their respective cases. And people do that in life and uh, uh, don't realize that they have talents, not that it has to be acting. As I started off with me, I'm, I'm, I have a ministry at a Catholic church going into its ninth year. You know, mm-hmm. I started something that was seemed odd to me. Uh, I remember saying to my mother when I started the Entertainment Fellowship, and I said, look, Mom, I'm mailing out 600 uh, newsletters. And uh, actually what she said was, who's going to pay for them? (laughs) 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 Who's paying the postage? And I said, well, don't worry about it. It'll work out. (laughs) Typical of uh, (laughs) an actor or whatever. Typical of me, anyhow. But I, um, uh, you know, we we have so many other things we could do, and we don't do them, and we don't use them. Uh, not that everybody has to quit their jobs. You know, there's another story in the book, David, on choices. When I was having my teeth cleaned at the dentist, and the yeah, woman I talked about, yeah, the woman. I think it, it leads. You know, there's a part yeah. of the, the uh, same point. I remember that. With, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, the woman is cleaning my teeth, and she says to me, uh, uh, are you still acting? And I said, yes. And she said, and how things are going? I said, you know, I have a wonderful life, I, blah, blah, blah. And she says, uh, to me, she starts telling me about, I ask her what she's doing um, as best I can with that thing that they, <laughs> they put in your mouth. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I and... Yeah, so anyhow, she says, you know, I'm married and I have two children now since you've uh, seen me. You know, she was away for a while. And um, she said, uh, you know, I take the kids to school and it's it's tough. She says, thank goodness that Dr. D'Angelo or whatever his name was at the time, uh, you know, it's a good thing he uh, lets me come in and, you know, part-time, you know, just four days a week. My husband works at night now. I hardly see him anymore, but it's good that I work during the day and he's with the kids and then I'm there at night with the kids. And then in the middle of all of this, she uh, stops and uh, she pulls down her green mask, I think it was, and she says to me, how do you do that? And I'm looking at her like, how do I do what? And and that's what I said to her, how do I do what? And she said, how do you have a wonderful life? And I said, I said, well, I do. Oh, and, and she also said, in, in, uh, let me uh, go back for a second. She said, you know, before we got married, she and her husband, she said, we used to go dancing and, and uh, go out a lot and, and go to the movies. She said, I, the last movie I saw was Rocky Five, she said to me. And, uh, and then she pulls down the mask. She says, how do, you have a, how do you do that and have a wonderful life? And I said, well, I think I have. I said, I, I love my wife. She loves me. I said, I do things that I enjoy or are meaningful, and I don't do things that I don't enjoy that aren't meaningful. And, he sh- and uh, uh, I, I expounded on that somewhat, saying, you know, when I was a kid, I'd see people working in a bank, and in one instance, they were not happy. They wanted, they weren't happy working in a bank. And I thought to myself, you know, working in a bank is not for me, for sure. I can work a nine to five. Not that there's anything wrong for that with that for some people, but I, I, that wasn't my life, and I chose to do things that 
I enjoy doing, etc., etc. And then uh, she went on to say, oh, me too, me too. And uh, she was very nervous. She kept uh, piercing my gums um, and uh, talking quickly. And she said, me too. I have, a, I have a good life. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I, um, you know, I love my husband and my children, although I have to take them to school. And then they play tennis. And then I have to drive them to tennis. And then I have to do this. And then I have to take them there. And, and at one point she said, you know, my friend Lorraine, she says, my friend Lorraine, she was making like six figures a year. She's making a really good job. She quit her job and opened a beauty salon, and she's hardly making a living. She works 14, 16 hours a day. She hardly sees her kids. She says, well, she brings the kids to the beauty salon. She, she loves them and everything, and they love her. It's fine. But she's working so hard. She's hardly making any money, and she loves it. She loves it. And she and I'm just listening to this whole thing now as she's cleaning. And she says to me, she says, you know, I people don't I, I want to do something else. People don't realize how hard it is to be a dental hygienist. She says it's so hard on the fingers and the hands. She says what I want to do is I want to be a pharmaceutical rep. She says there's a lot more money in that. And I go, ugh, through the thing in my mouth. She says, yeah, she says, you know, you can make a lot more money. I, I know, I, I've observed the reps and the dentist, and I know the field, and, you know, it's, it's just, it, and it's really, you know, it's really a great way to get, uh, get more money, ugh. And she says, you know, the simple part of it is you just have to, to you know, know what people want. You have to listen to what they say. You know what I mean? And I say, yes, I do. <laughs> she didn't get what I was talking about. And here are things that are going past her observation in light, floating past her observation where her friend yeah. quits a job, where I'm telling her I don't want to be nine to five. Uh, you know, I, and it doesn't mean that you can't make a lot of money and be happy. It it just means if money's just money's the goal, you know that's you're looking in the wrong place. You know, exactly. you need to find out who you are. Yeah, what do you value in life? You know, what brings you joy, and go after yes. it. You know, so yes. So that wraps up our hour. And, you know, I can listen to you all day. And we have. We have talked for hours. Uh, oh, my gosh. So, so that does. Um, so, you know, I'd like to, if you don't mind, um, have you lead a prayer, a short prayer. And I then, will. But, um, and and I just want to say, if anybody, can I, if anybody wants to ahead. contact me, just go to www.robert-hanley.com. Is that okay? Yep, that's fine. You, uh, okay. you want to say it again just to kind of reemphasize? So Great, so thank you. www.robert hyphen that's a dash Hanley H A N L E Y dot com. Thank you, David, and thank, yeah, uh, thank your you. listeners as well. Yes, let's say a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time uh, to thank you for all the wonderful things that you give us and uh, all the things that you do not let happen to us. We are so grateful to you for these gifts, uh, and we are grateful for the opportunity to share goodness with others. I know I am today, and I know David is. 
And uh, we pray for your grace to those people who are open to receiving your grace today. Please know they are open for all the things that you have and are. Uh, we say and ask this sincerely and humbly through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to me, David Cease, at Practical Catholic. Here's a reflection for you. Take a moment and reflect, who am I? Who do I want to be? Or am I pretending to be something that I'm not? Feel free to share your reflection or leave a comment on the podcast, Instagram, and Facebook at Practical Catholic, or visit my webpage at practicalcatholic1, that is the number one, dot com. Join me next week as we discuss the topic of loving our neighbor with true love. You're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of Enroute Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom.